Hi, I'm Vicki Stocking. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Happy Easter, everyone. My name is Joel, and I'm with Connections here at Love Chapel Hill. I want to invite everyone, but very specifically, if you are joining us for the first time, or you've been uh, with us for the last few weeks, and you haven't had an opportunity to check out our Sunday morning watch party, it's at 10 a.m. every Sunday. You can come, and the information is on lovechapelhill.com. you find the Zoom information there. But the watch party is a great, great place to get to know some of the people at Love Chapel Hill. It's just generally a small group of people that get together and watch this service video every Sunday together. Uh, it's a great way to get to know some of the people, make some new friends, especially as in the next uh, little while we're talking about regathering. You can get to know a few people before we even get a chance to meet each other in person. So we would love for you to go and join our watch party on Sundays at 10 a.m. Hello, Chapel Hill. My name is Katie, and I would love to invite you to engage with the Love Chapel Hill family by filling out a Connect card through the link in the description of this video. This ensures that you receive updates about events and gives you the opportunity to connect with someone within the church in case you might need to talk. You may also visit lovechapelhill.com to read about and join a weekly gathering, whether it's the College Women's Bible Study, the Story on Tuesday Nights, Wednesday Morning Prayer, or another group. Happy Sunday, and we wish you a wonderful Easter. Hi, my name is Erin, and I'm one of the Quest Kid volunteers. We are in need of volunteers, and we would love for you to join us. Right now, we have kids that range from age zero all the way up to preteens. So we're looking for people who are willing to come and teach these kids how to love with the heart of Jesus. You do not have to have any experience leading small groups of kids or being a parent yourself. We generally have someone who's the leader and we also ask for assistance. So that might be helping with small activities, with games or with arts and crafts. We're currently meeting online on Zoom Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. But we're gonna need more volunteers as we consider what it looks like to regather in person. I promise you that if you volunteer, you won't regret it. There are gonna be so many times that you're just gonna to wanna to melt in the cuteness and you're gonna have so many laughs that get you through the week. Like think about if you think Matt Leroy is funny, just wait till you meet his kids. So again, if you're interested in volunteering or if it's something God has been um, calling you to do or putting on your heart, we'd love to have you join us. You can fill out a connections card on the Love Chapel Hill website. We'd love to see you. Drenched in tears 
highest king would welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me in his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. And I am who you say I am. And I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, and there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, you're not against me. And I am who you say I am. And I am who you say I am. And I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house. There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then he, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold... Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That proclamation is at the heartbeat of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity, Christianity. As Christians, we don't just honor Jesus as a martyr who gave his life for a good and worthy cause. But as Christians, we worship Jesus as the very Son of God who became flesh and blood, fully God, fully human, who proclaims and acts the kingdom of God into existence through his life and ministry, who willingly sets his face towards the cross and makes his way towards the cross with the purpose of laying down his life as a sacrifice to bring about the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of the world. We believe that Jesus willingly embraced death on the cross in order to wrestle it into submission and to defeat it. We believe that Jesus is the king who conquers sin through his crucifixion on the cross and who conquers death through his resurrection on Easter Sunday. That is what we believe. And all of Christianity hangs on the reality of this day. The Apostle Paul nailed it uh, when he says that if Christ isn't raised, then our faith is in vain. Absolutely true. But because Christ is raised, our hope is indestructible. This day right here, this morning, is the dawn that pierces the night that rolls back the darkness like a stone and that proclaims the good news that Jesus Christ is alive, that the King has conquered sin and death. And that good news rings throughout the ages like the echo of an empty tomb. That's what we're here to celebrate today. And that's at the heartbeat of who we are as the ongoing movement 
of Jesus in the world here and now. So all of the story turns here. All of the story builds to this and human history witnesses and echoes this proclamation and this confession. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Over the past several months, uh, we've been walking through the gospel of Matthew together. And so we're going to look at the resurrection today uh, through the text. Uh, Matthew's description of the resurrection found in chapter 28. Uh, but over this journey, as we've been walking uh, through this gospel together, we started all the way back at Advent, anticipating the arrival of Jesus through the lens of the gospel of Matthew. We celebrated Christmas and the birth of the Savior through the lens of Matthew. Uh, we celebrated Epiphany and this revelation pointing to the reality of who Jesus is through the lens of Matthew. We've been walking through his life together, walking along with his disciples as they are following him. And we've been witnessing uh, his announcement of the kingdom, his articulation of the kingdom through the revolutionary sermon on the mount and his actions of the kingdom as the story builds and has been moving along. We've been witnessing the mounting opposition that comes up against him, even as we see the expansive revelation of who he is through the way that he is acting and engaging with the people around him. Last week, uh, Justin walked us through uh, these three massive events that are held together through this single thread. Uh, Peter's confession that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, the transfiguration moment where Jesus reveals himself to his disciples and shows uh, his glory to them. Uh, even uh, as on either side of him, he has uh, Moses and Elijah there as witnesses of that as well. And then, of course, uh, the triumphal entry as we celebrated Palm Sunday, uh, as the king makes his way into Jerusalem and is welcomed and celebrated as the long-awaited king. The excitement of Palm Sunday... Uh, and and the, the cheers of the crowd, all of that takes a quick turn, though, as we move from Palm Sunday and into Holy Week. And so as Holy Week makes its way along, we see that mounting opposition continuing against Jesus until we move from the roar of the crowd on Palm Sunday to this moment that Jesus has on his last nights, on his last night with his disciples as he shares the last supper with them. And it moves from this crowd, this cheering crowd to this intimate table with Jesus and his disciples. But even that breaks down as well. And those around the table with Jesus end up betraying him or denying him or failing him in the moments when he needs them most. That story continues to move as we see him wrestling with the looming suffering that is coming towards him as he's under this weight of grief in the Garden of Gethsemane, a weight so heavy that it brings him to say the words that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. 
the story continues to move downward and downward and downward. As Jesus is arrested, as Jesus is put on trial, as Jesus is tortured, as Jesus is mocked, and ultimately Jesus is crucified. As we witness that crucifixion and the description of it, we know that the crucifixion event and that this tool of execution was designed by the Roman Empire with this precise kind of brutality, specifically designed to push the limits of human pain, but not just pain, also depths of shame. And that's part of the design of this. It was physically brutal and designed to be that way. But it was also a form of psychological warfare designed to strike terror in the hearts and the minds of the people, sending this message. This is what happens to anyone who defies Rome. It was a symbol of what kind of evil humanity is capable of. As Jesus is crucified, we see that creation grieves and darkness reigns until this morning, until dawn breaks this morning and sunrise reveals the truth that Jesus who was crucified is now alive, that he has conquered death and the resurrection changes the way we see all of the world around us. It even changes the way we see this brutal tool of the Roman Empire and this form of execution. When we first look at it and we see Jesus on the cross, it says to us, this is what evil is capable of. But now through the reality of the resurrection and we see the full meaning of the crucifixion, now we see the cross as a symbol of what God is capable of, of what grace is capable of, of just how far compassion and mercy and justice and love is willing to go. The resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely everything. And now the threat of death is forever linked with the hope of eternal life. And even the worst weapons of evil become symbols of persevering love. The prophet Isaiah said that one day in the age of the Messiah, they would take the swords, these weapons of war, they would take the swords and they would beat them into plowshares. And in other words, uh, into farming tools. These weapons of war would become used for cultivation and care and creation. And that's what happens in the reality of the Messiah of Jesus. We see the age of the Messiah breaking in here and that becomes true. And this tool that was designed for excruciating pain, for shameful execution now is forever universally linked with faith and hope and love. This is what is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection changes everything. We're going to 
go back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and read this uh, together. Matthew's account of this world-changing event, the resurrection of the once dead, now very much alive, Jesus Christ. After Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the story of the indestructible life of Jesus. And this story is full of a life of its own. No matter how many times we go back through this, uh, we still find this new life pulsing in it and alive in it. Uh, we can read this year after year, come back to it over and over again, and we'll continue to see things that seem new to us or things that we're very familiar with that we've talked about a lot before, uh, but that are still vibrant and alive. And so I'm just going to pull out a few things um, that this year in this journey through this uh, stand out the most to me. Uh, first of all, there's this statement about the two Marys and that Matthew tells us that two Marys come to the tomb um, and they become the first witnesses of Jesus. We're told that one is Mary Magdalene and the other is just identified as the other Mary. Um, we know that this is not the, uh, the mother of Jesus. Um, it's likely that this is a Mary who is the mother of uh, Joseph and James. Um, but, but this is not, we should not see this as uh, the mother of Jesus. Um, we do see Mary Magdalene specified here. And I find that very interesting because all four gospel accounts put Mary Magdalene as the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus, who then becomes the first messenger of the resurrection of Jesus. This cornerstone truth of Christianity, uh, this core heartbeat of what we believe and how we live and why we live it. And Mary Magdalene is the first witness of that. I think that is absolutely beautiful. Uh, we know that in this day and time, uh, women were not allowed to be witnesses in court um, because of this culture, the patriarchal culture of this time and of this place. Their voices were not valued. And yet Jesus intentionally uh, puts her in this place 
of prominence and hands the message to her and sends her to carry that message to his other disciples, the men who go on to become the apostles of the church. I think that's so powerful. Uh, It's not only that Mary Magdalene is a woman and then therefore what that means for her in that culture. Uh, We're also told about Mary Magdalene's past in the, in the gospels. Uh, sometimes Christian tradition will put on Mary Magdalene things, uh, that aren't true about her or things that at least we're not told about her. Sometimes, uh, she gets portrayed, uh, as being a person who has this past of prostitution. Uh, that is not, uh, said anywhere in the gospels. We do see Jesus, uh, intentionally um, bringing to his table um, and accepting uh, people that are labeled as prostitutes. Uh, but we don't ever see that label given to Mary Magdalene in any of the Gospels. Uh, Luke does tell us, however, uh, that Mary Magdalene uh, at one point was possessed by demons. Uh, it specified seven demons, um, which again, that number seven uh, means this kind of completion, this wholeness. And so we see the, the the fullness of bondage that she was under and the fullness of brokenness of her life. And look where her story goes. Look where her story ends up because of the person of Jesus. He not only drives those demons out of her life, but he commissions her to be the one to go and to carry the message of his resurrection. She's the first witness and the first preacher of the good news gospel that Jesus is in fact alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I find that so beautiful. Uh, I have loved this journey through Matthew um, and it's brought a new appreciation for him as an author. Uh, And I love his writing Um, and just over and over. And I've said this to some of you before um, that over and over. I'm I'm just saying to myself, Matthew is brilliant. He is brilliant. I love how he writes this story. Uh, But we have to admit, actually, uh, we've got to pause right here at this point in the story and admit that Matthew is actually a terrible writer. If Matthew's genre here in this gospel is a genre of fiction, uh, if it's a genre of propaganda, if it's a genre of myth creation that then he's trying to push and make believable so that people will, will accept this myth as wisdom and truth, if that's his angle here, um, then he's actually a terrible writer because he's just put at the center of his story, uh, the first ones to witness the evidence and carry the evidence, the central witnesses, people who in this day and time would not be considered trustworthy witnesses. So if he's writing fiction or propaganda or myth creation, then he's a terrible writer. But we know that Matthew is not a terrible writer. Instead, what he's doing is telling this true account He's giving the important details, drawing on that detail-oriented past of being this tax collector. And he's giving these crucial key details that fill out the full story of who Jesus is and just how radical this gospel is that is being proclaimed through the life of Jesus. And Matthew would know, as being a tax collector, 
as being a person who was pushed to the margins, who was not trusted, but was hated and reviled by the people of his time and place. Matthew would know, and he knows the power, the transforming power of Jesus. And he becomes this person who gets to tell this story. And in telling it, he's making sure that he's telling all of these crucial details of just how wild this kingdom is that Jesus has come to proclaim. This isn't the only place where he does that. We see him repeatedly putting people uh, at the center of the story who had been on the margins because Jesus is always the center. So when Jesus goes to the margins, that's the center of the story. And we see over and over him pushing people towards the forefront who have been rejected by the rest of the culture. And he's telling their story over and over again and through them telling the Jesus story and we're able to see Jesus through that. At the very beginning of his gospel, uh, he does this in a different way as well. Um, It would have been unlikely to just make up putting women in that place at the end of his gospel, but he does the same thing at the beginning too. He puts women as a in a key role of witness in the genealogy of Jesus. He begins, and we began there back in Advent, uh, with this genealogy, this background of the family story of Jesus. And against the norms of the culture, he puts women in the genealogy, lists them, honors them, and not just any women, but many of them being women whose reputations uh, carried this sense of brokenness and shame. And Matthew says, nah. Not in this story, not in this story. That's exactly the kind of person who gets pushed to the front of the line and becomes a witness to the reality of the kind of kingdom that is breaking in through this man, Jesus. Repeatedly through Matthew's gospel, he talks about the kingdom more than any other gospel. He talks about the kingdom uh, over and over and over and over again. And one of the phrases that he uses uh, and that we find in the mouth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel frequently is this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And at the beginning of his gospel and here at the end of his gospel, we find once again a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. As Mary Magdalene steps to the forefront to be the witness and to carry the message. And Matthew in the background writing saying, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. The next thing uh, that I want to point to here um, is that Matthew uh, talks about this earthquake that happens. And he describes an earthquake uh, signifying the resurrection that goes along with the resurrection. Uh, this is another thing that is common in Matthew's gospel more than the others. Uh, four different times through Matthew's gospel, he mentions earthquakes. Uh, he's trying to tell us something with that. Um, and in this moment, we get uh, a literal description of something that is happening uh, tied to, uh, in just the chapter before, uh, with the death of Jesus, that at the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, the moment when Jesus dies, there is this response from nature. 
and this grieving of creation. And part of that is the sky going dark uh, in the temple. Uh, the veil at the temple is torn, but also we're told there's an earthquake. The ground literally shakes under the weight of what has just happened. So in the crucifixion and in the resurrection, Matthew tells us of an earthquake. Now, this is a literal description. Uh, he's telling us something that actually happened in that moment of the ground actually shaking. But in this literal description, we also see a spiritual message and power that he's pointing to here and this deeper meaning and reality within the literal description. This is language and symbol for him that he comes back to trying to communicate to us the reality of what is happening in this world because of Jesus, because of his crucifixion that brings about the forgiveness of sins and the conquering of sin and because of his resurrection that opens up the way for all of us into new life with Jesus to be raised with him in new life. Because of both of these events, Matthew shows us the earth, the world, literally shaking under the weight of what has just happened. He's trying to communicate to us that the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus bring about a seismic shift in the way that we understand and see the world that we are living in, in the way that we see the reality of our own lives, that Jesus, that his crucifixion and his death and that the person of Jesus is the epicenter of all of human history and that his death and his resurrection send out shockwaves throughout the rest of human history, changing the way we see everything. The crucifixion and the resurrection are connected to this upending of how we see the world. It brings about a breaking down of things that need to get broken down. And it brings about an opening up of things that need to be opened up. And the reality of this is that every one of us is changed because of this. And that followers of Jesus, because of this earthquake moment of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we become the aftershocks in this world of that, rea of that reality. And our lives continue to tell that story. Another thing that I notice here uh, that stands out to me is the announcement of the angel. Um, and particularly the last thing that the angel says. I love how the angel ends this. The, the angel uh, does a lot of fun stuff in here. First, after rolling away the stone, sitting on the stone. Love that moment. Um, but then the way that the angel ends this message as well. The angel makes this statement. Now I have told you. Now I have told you. And in that, you hear kind of this, this sense of a completion of a mission. I was sent to tell you this. I'm telling you this. Now I have told you. My mission is complete. I find this really interesting because once again, it connects the end of the Gospel of Matthew back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And back in Advent, 
We talked about this, how there's an angel announcement at the beginning as well, where an angel appears to Joseph in a dream with this message. And the gospel starts with this declaration about who Jesus is, this Jesus that we're going to be walking with. This is who he is. The angel says to Joseph, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And now it ends with this announcement. Now I have told you that thing that was promised at the beginning, that this person, Jesus, has come to rescue us and to save us from our sins. It is now complete. Now I have told you there's a completion of his mission. And the first announcement has now been completed because of the last announcement. But it doesn't stop with the angel The angel's job is done. But as we go on and we see the rest of this, we see that the angel's job is done, but our job is just beginning. The last thing that I want us to talk about here uh, is in the instructions of the angel, what he tells the women. uh, And then in their encounter with Jesus, we see this same thing. The women are told to come and see and then to go and tell. The angel says, come and see the place where they laid him. Now go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And then Jesus, when he has this encounter with them, uh, they come and see that he is alive and they fall at his feet and worship him. And then Jesus says, now go and tell my brothers, those who deserted me and those who denied me, go and tell them I am alive. It's not over. It's not over for me and it's not over for them. Go and tell them. So we see this, come and see, go and tell, come and see, go and tell. And this is a dynamic uh, that is common all the way throughout the gospel of Matthew. And it's common to life in the kingdom with Jesus. This invitation to come and see and then this commission to go and tell. In this, I hear the echoes of when Jesus calls his first disciples back in Matthew chapter four. And he says, come follow me. It's this invitation into discipleship. Come and see what I do. See how I live and begin to live that way too. Go where I go. Do what I do. And then he also tells them in that moment, come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. We see them dropping their nets, walking away from that life uh, of fishing and that, that family business of fishing. And Jesus says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to baptize that. I'm going to transform that. I'm going to sanctify that. I'm going to send you back out to continue to fish. But this time you'll be sent out to fish for people. And so we see this come and see dynamic. Come follow me in discipleship. And we see this go and tell dynamic. Go out, fish for people in mission, discipleship and mission happening in the context of community. Jesus is still saying the same to us. And the resurrection of Jesus is still speaking in this same kind of dynamic, this invitation of come and see and this commission of go and tell. If you 
are curious about who Jesus is. Maybe you are skeptical about who Jesus is. Maybe you can't get your mind around this. You have so many questions uh, or doubts, or maybe you feel like what you're bringing with you is not just intellectual questions and doubts, but maybe you feel like you are bringing a weight of brokenness that there's no way that Jesus wants you to come with him. But even under that weight of brokenness, Jesus is saying, come and see and bring your brokenness with you and watch what I end up doing with it. This is the resurrection story where we see what Jesus does with brokenness. We see what he does with the cross, taking this symbol of evil and violence and terror and turning it into a symbol of faith and hope and love. We see what he does with death and the threat of death and this person who now through the hope of his resurrection forever connects the threat of death with the hope of eternal life through him and the hope of new life in him right here and right now. This is the person who invites Mary Magdalene who drives out that brokenness of her life, who brings healing into her life and is now sending her out as not just the first witness, but the first messenger, the first preacher of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. This is the person who goes to Matthew, the tax collector, rejected, reviled, hated for his corruption and the way that he had sold out his own people. And Jesus says, I want you to come and follow me. And through that embrace, the transforming embrace of Jesus, Matthew now becomes this person who tells us this story that is echoing through history, this good news that Jesus is alive. Come and see and bring your brokenness with you. This is what he's done for all of these other people. What might he do with you? What might he do with you? Come and see, but then also go and tell. We have a story to carry. And like Mary Magdalene and like Matthew, we have been commissioned to tell that story for our lives to echo this story that continues to ring throughout the ages, the good news, the gospel. He is risen and he is risen indeed. Solid.
body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It was later uh, in my walk with, with Jesus where I actually heard these words. Um, this idea of proclaiming the resurrection. And, and it, it was so different than how I approached Easter or really how I experienced Easter growing up. So my family would go to church, maybe on Easter. Uh, we weren't even necessarily C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter. Uh, I remember it was more about having your hair cut having a nice suit if you were a guy. And if you were a young guy, get one of those nice suits as well that you wear once because you grew so quickly that you couldn't grow uh, wear it again after Easter. And for the young girls, the dresses, right? And then the adults also would have, have the, the proper attire. Um, and it was about showing up looking a certain way. And then you know, we'd eat ham um, afterwards, maybe with macaroni or some other side dish like that. Uh, and then of course there was the candy, right? The Easter egg hunt where, where you'd get lots of good food. Uh, excuse me, uh, lots of nice treats after eating the good food. But once I came across this idea of Resurrection Day, this reframing of Easter, I found it to be really powerful, right? And really actually um, completely changing the way in which I see, see, see Easter and really actually being life-changing, if I'm being honest with you. This idea that Jesus is risen. And so in a call and response, right, sort of way, if we were in person, Someone would say he is risen, and, 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 and the response would be he is risen indeed. And so in thinking about the benediction, and in many ways, Easter speaks for itself, right? Jesus, who came, who's God, and, and, and took on flesh, lived this life that none of us could live, ministered to people, healed people, uh, had these disciples walk alongside him, right, in this journey, uh, Justin did a really excellent job talking about transfiguration. This idea of Jesus towards the end of his life, his inner circle, them seeing him in his glory. 
And, and now we find ourselves at the end of Holy Week where Jesus is crucified on, on Friday and he's mocked and he's flogged um, and, and he's spat upon. He, he's, 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 a, he's, he's treated poorly, right? He, he's, um, he experiences abuse and, and pain at, at the hands of, of people in power. Um, and he dies. And it's not like he just gets up five minutes later. No, I mean, Holy Saturday, the silence, right? Jesus is not with us anymore. But then comes the good news. Then comes Resurrection Day. Then comes Sunday. And on the third day, he rises. I was reading through Matthew and uh, the latter chapters. And what I was really struck by, and I've read this many times before, is that the women are going to Jesus' tomb. And once they get there, they encounter an angel, and the angel says, oh, you know, he's not here, he's risen. And um, the, the seal had been broken, all right? And so they, you know, they're not expecting to see an angel there. They're expecting to see Jesus in the tomb, but he's not there. Well, they encounter Jesus, and they encounter him in a form that they don't expect to see him in. And he greets them, and they recognize him for who he is. And then he sends them ahead to Galilee, tells them, hey, tell my brothers to meet me at Galilee. And he meets the disciples there, and there's some that worship him there, and then there's some that's, that doubt. And so there's so many pieces here. And so just allow me to make this, this point that I'm really struck by, which is, first of all, Jesus is risen. And that, is, is, that fundamentally changes how we, how we live our lives. That fundamentally changes everything. It is the most consequential event, I would argue, in human history. That Jesus raises from the dead. He's raised from the dead, I should say. He's risen. What I'm really struck by, though, is even after he's risen, he meets people. People are looking for him and account to encounter him. And yet he meets them. And that gives me hope, people, that, that Jesus meets people. That when people go looking for him, he meets them. The God of the universe meets them. And, and it fits in with the whole arch, arc of scripture. That God comes from heaven to earth, right, to meet us because we can't go to him. But he comes to us. It's a really powerful thing. It's something I've really been, been chewing on and thinking about. And so I want to just say to you that the good news today, my good word to you today, this benediction today, is that Jesus is risen. And that we have access to that resurrection life. And that is a, a wonderful, beautiful, amazing thing. A thing that we should celebrate. A thing that ought to give us joy, a thing that we ought to proclaim, a thing that fundamentally changes our lives. So he is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs>